Lord God, I thank you for the words of your holy word that come to us today. And Lord, you know I've studied and I've prayed and I've wrestled and I've pondered. And as I bring this forth, I pray that you would be our teacher and that we would hear your voice alone. And that everything that is not of you, as these folks walk out the door, as they walk through the doorway, they be hit with spiritual amnesia for the stuff that's not of you. And for the stuff that is, that it be your word going deeply, penetrating into their hearts and minds and souls, transforming them to the image of Christ, transforming them into warriors of faith, doing your will, loving with your love, as they go out into the world. Come Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Theist. Do you know what a theist is? A theist is somebody who believes in God. Put A, the letter A, in front of it, and you've got somebody who does not believe in God. Atheist. Moral. Having to do with right and wrong. Holding to some sort of standard. Put an A in front of it, and you've got somebody who lacks moral sensibilities. Somebody without scruples. Amoral. The word apathy means you don't care. Literally, it means to be without feeling. Take away the A and you've got pathy left, which isn't a word in English, but it comes from the Greek word pathos, feeling. Many times in English we put an A in front of a word and you get the opposite because A is a prefix that means not. Hypocrite. From hupo meaning under, crisis, crisis, we would say, meaning to decide. Originally it meant somebody who couldn't decide. Later it began to be used of an actor on a stage because in ancient Greek they would wear masks, pretending they were somebody they're not. It was used as a synonym for play acting, being a counterfeit persona. So what happens if you put an A in front of the word hypocrite? Well, you get the word that's the subject of my message today. And in Greek, it's pronounced anupokritas. I have got it in your bulletin so you can see what it looks like. It means without play acting. Not a hypocrite. The word is used in 1 Timothy 1.5 and 2 Timothy 1.5. And depending on which translation you're using, it can be translated as without show, without pretense, sincere, genuine, real, authentic, unfeigned, F-E-I-G-N, unfeigned. And in these two passages, it's placed before the word faith. So what Paul is writing about is something that's not just lip faith. It's a faith that's not just believing, such that when you believe, you go out and do whatever you want, and there's no relationship between what you say you believe and what you do, who you are. Genuine faith is, is not just positive thinking. Amen. It's the real deal. 
Genuine faith is a firm conviction and then it goes on to be surrendered to that truth. And so surrender to that truth that your conduct emanates from that surrender which emanates from your belief. This morning I want to talk to you about faith, but I don't want to talk to you about just any kind of faith. I want to talk about the right kind of faith. It's undeniable the, the importance of faith we have in our lives. We're enjoined over and over again in Scripture to have faith. When Peter was walking on the water and he saw the waves, he began to sink. And immediately, it says, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and said, You of little faith, why did you doubt? The implication being, if he had more faith, he wouldn't have sunk. And the answer of the disciples not being able to cast out the, the demon from the boy who kept throwing himself into the fire, Jesus said to them, when they said, how come we couldn't do that? Because you have so little faith. When Jesus visited his hometown in Nazareth, he was greeted with unbelief. And as a result, Mark writes that Jesus couldn't do any miracles there except to lay hands on a few people and heal some of them. Of course, in our, we think that's pretty darn good. We laid hands on people and, and they got healed. And it says he couldn't do any miracles there because of their, their lack of faith. And it, it says Jesus was amazed at their lack of faith. These are some of the instances of the passages that make a case for the necessity of faith stated in the negative. There's also a number that, instead of asking why don't you have faith, they, they state it in the, in the positive. Because of your faith, you're healed. And the story of the centurion who, who came to Jesus on behalf of his servant who was sick and dying, Jesus said he was healed according to the centurion's faith. He had told Jesus, just say the word. You don't even have to come to my house. And I know my servant will be healed. It says Jesus marveled over his faith and said, it will be done just as you believed. Time and time again in the Bible, faith is the medium through which God releases his healing power. Often times after healing somebody, Jesus would say, your faith has healed you. And blind Bartimaeus heard Jesus passing by and he called out from the side of the road, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. The woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years and had sought all sorts of remedies and couldn't find them reached out to touch the hem of his garment. Soon as she touched him, she was healed and Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Same thing. In the case of the boy that I just mentioned who threw himself in the fire because of the demons in him. The father approached Jesus and said, if you, if you could do anything, if you can do anything, can you, can you help us? And Jesus said, if I can? Everything is possible for him who believes. You see, it's not if Jesus can heal, it's if we can believe that Jesus can heal. In the book of Acts, there was a man who was in the city of Lystra. He'd been blind since birth. He listened to Paul preach, and it says, Paul looked directly at him, and he saw that he had the faith to believe. 
I'm not exactly sure what that looks like. You look at somebody and you can see faith. I don't know. But he was healed because of it. Even with this brief sampling, we see faith is important. God responds to faith with healing. Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Faith is undeniably important in Scripture. And I think we in this generation, in this particular nation, are sorely lacking from it, even in the church, perhaps especially in some churches. There's an anti-supernatural thread that runs through a lot of the mainline churches. That was for back then. Wasn't it good what Jesus did 2,000 years ago? Let's sit around and talk about what he used to do. That'll be fun. Let's see if we can grow the church with that. However, however, there are some who take things to an extreme. There are those who teach that if you have faith, you will be healed no matter what. If you have just enough faith, you will, you will be healed. Such teachers insist that everyone will be healed from everything, every time. Prayers are healing, have said. And if someone isn't, then, then brother... You must have some buried sin. You must, sister, you must have some sliver of doubt that's interfering with what God's trying to do, but your doubt and your unbelief is clogging up the works. It's true in Matthew 21, Jesus says, if you believe, you will receive what you ask for in prayer. Is that always our experience? I think in an earnest desire to appropriate that passage, well-meaning, but I've, I've heard them tell people, if you've asked, you've already received it. And to a point, that is true. You have already received. God's already answered your prayer, whether it's signed, sealed, and delivered yet, whether it looks like what you prayed for, you, you have received from the Lord. He is a God who hears his children. Don't think otherwise. And for believers to stand on the promises of God, it's good. But as I say, the extremes can be problematic I struggle. I struggle when I hear people to, being told to claim their healing, when they're instructed to say, I'm healed right now, I'm healed right now, in spite of what the evidence is to the contrary. Not that we always go on evidence, but when do we, you know, I, I wrestle with this, with, with what I see in the church sometimes. When do we move from praying to demanding? When do we cross the line and start having faith in faith instead of having faith in God? From having faith in the power of God to having faith in the power of my positive confession. One problem with the name it, claim it, believe it, receive it mindset is it can become a high level sort of denial. You see, if I'm blind and I ask for sight, I've not been healed until I can see. Now, that sounds obvious to people outside the church, but there are some circles where that's not so obvious. And the teaching gets very complex and people are confused. And what happened to having the faith like a child because there's all this stuff you have to do? Again, I know my prayer has been heard, but as long as I cannot see, I'm blind and I've not been healed. In the story of the emperor's new clothes, the reason the emperor appears to be naked because he is naked. 
And I don't care what anybody tells me. If I'm paralyzed and sitting in a wheelchair, I'm not going to say I'm healed until I'm actually up and walking around. Faith is above reason. It is. But it's not against reason. My grandmother was a very godly woman. She was, she was saved, she was spirit-filled, and she died a terrible death. Her faith group taught that if you have enough faith, you don't need medical help. And anything less was a breach of faith. So her entire course of female cancer was run without medicine and without painkillers. I was seven when she died. It was a, and I'm, I know I was shielded from so much, but the, the bit I saw wasn't good. Her claims of being healed in the name of faith was actually a denial of reality. With good intentions trying to do the right thing. This isn't a blame thing. This is just hopefully clarification. I've heard some prayer, prayers tell people, just say it. I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. When it's obvious they're not. That, to me, that's the power of positive thinking run amok. Because my faith is not in my words. My faith is not in my confession. My faith is in the God to whom I pray. My saying something doesn't create reality. God creates reality. And yet this concept of possessing creative power in our words, it's in television and radio and books and conferences. If we will just say it right, we can have whatever we ask for. And some people are within the stream of what's good and right, and they're praying for healing, and then you all know how that teaching has turned into the prosperity movement, which these people would deny but you can say how you get there. Well, if I just say it right, if I just pray it right, if I just confess it with my mouth, I can have that new Mini Cooper I've been wanting. Good gas mileage for Jesus. <laughs> and what happens, people say, well, if you're a true believer, and it really makes my something happen. It's not good. It's not a good reaction. It's like, well, if you were a true believer, you wouldn't be sick. You wouldn't have financial problems. This kind of teaching distorts some of those scriptures of the Bible. Fails to come to grip with death. It doesn't deal with how God sometimes works through suffering. Sometimes sins judgment that looks like pain and suffering. We don't like to talk about those either, do we? And they don't bring, as I've watched this, they don't bring people into God's wonderful liberty. They fill people with guilt and shame and confusion and way too much introspection. What have I done? Some, is, you know, some of it's good. Listen, if God does not depart, impart divine faith to us, no amount of my confession is going to create it apart from God. Even so, the, the sick are told, confess your healing, ignore the symptoms, keep a positive attitude, keep a positive confession. And if they fail, in the worst cases, I've seen people put out of the church, put out of the fellowship. I've known of pastors who've been removed from their pulpit because somebody in their congregation who was sick died, and it was accounted to him that he didn't have enough faith. 
Paul would have undoubtedly been put out of the faith fellowship if they had got hold of 1 Corinthians 4, where he says, To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we're in rags, we're brutally treated, we're homeless, we're the scum of the earth, we're the garbage of the earth. Well, that's a slap in the face to the health and wealth gospel. You know, you're, Paul, you're ruining our mojo here. Go somewhere else. Charles Farrar wrote in his book, From the Pinnacle to the Temple, Paul learned that although God wills health, we're not always healthy. He learned the secret not of total health, but of total contentment. Paul taught a Christian realism that admitted defeat when defeat came and hindrances when there were hindrances. End quote. What about Jesus? The book of Hebrew tells us he learned obedience through that which he suffered. He was made perfect through suffering. And there's a teaching going around. It's like, we shouldn't suffer. If you're suffering, you've done something wrong. Should we be positive? Yes. Should we confess our faith? By all means. But we can't create faith. Faith has its origin in God. It's got to start with him. Positive confession is good. The purpose of it is to release faith into the problem or situation we have. To say to that situation what God has said to us. Not what we've just decided on our own, apart from him. We produce nothing. We can only say what God has said. Our faith has got to be in him and in him alone. It is possible to have faith in faith. Some have turned faith itself into a God, and they believe that their faith can do all things and provide all things. It's idolatry. The New Testament speaks of faith in God, faith in Christ Jesus. When anything shifts from that, and, and it's subtle, and you know, I, I don't think anybody's has bad motivations. I just there's certain words I, when people talk more about faith for than faith in faith for seems to me to make things things oriented rather than God oriented do you believe for your healing it's not a terrible statement but it, to me it's like a, a little flag going up because with faith for we become the source of our blessings the force of our faith, the force of our words creates the healing force. It turns it into the desired experience. And I would su suggest that perhaps that faith might be very misplaced. Paul clarifies, how does faith come to us? Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now in the Greek, there's two words for the word word. One is, one is logos and one is Rhema. Logos is, you could describe that as the general word of God, the general knowledge of God. By scriptures, you can receive all the knowledge you need concerning God and his promises, but that doesn't necessarily turn into saving faith, does it? Pharisees. Case in point. In the Romans passage, though, the Greek word, word, is not logos, but rhema. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the rhema of God, the rhema word of God. Logos has been written as that which God has written and said. Rhema, we could describe as the saying word of God. It's very present tense. It's what God is saying to us right now in this particular moment. It's a specific word for a specific person, a specific situation, a specific moment. 
Faith comes by rhema. Peter didn't walk on water because of logos, because of a general knowledge of God. Peter had asked that Jesus give him a specific word. Lord, if it's you, tell, tell me to come to you. And Jesus said, come. A now word, a rhema word. And he acted on it. And there was faith to activate it, to change reality into supernatural. Change the physical into something that can't possibly happen. When God's involved in our confession, which is good, and our faith, which is wonderful. When God speaks to us with a rhema word, it brings us to the place of saying, it, of saying, God has said it. It must be true. It must be true. No matter what I can see, no matter what I'm hearing from everybody else, God has spoken. Creates faith within us, within us, genuine faith. And we're compelled by force of unanswerable arguments to believe the certainty of what God has said. And I meant to ask you, Debbie, before church, but I forgot, but too bad. This is exactly what Debbie wrote in her book. And Dennis mentioned this on Wednesday night. It's like, oh, that's right. Of course I knew the story, but it just so fits with today's message. They were told, that Dick and Debbie were told they couldn't have children. It's impossible. And that's how it was. This is very Reader's Digest condensed. But she received a rhema word from God, a now word from God. You will have a child. And absolutely nothing could dissuade her once God said, what can't come to pass is going to come to pass. So the book is a wonderful testimony of all the years of nothing coming to pass, apparently. And she held on to that rhema word, in spite of the odds, in spite of the obstacles, in spite of doubts and fears, because God had spoken. And it gave her faith, genuine faith, biblical faith. The kind of faith that always produces because something happens when genuine faith is released. Faith saves, faith heals, faith delivers, faith cleanses, faith does something. When Jesus exercised faith, the fig tree withered. Bread and loaves were multiplied. The, the blind saw, the lame leapt. By faith, Jesus calmed the story. He turned water into wine. He raised the dead. And he did say, you will do greater things than me. He said, than I. His grammar was really good. <laughs> Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of not things. Faith is substantial. And that word in the original language means foundation, confidence, assurance, trust. It's an absolute confidence in my God. You can't shake it. Go ahead, give it your best shot. I know what I know and I know who I know and nothing you can say can dissuade me. Firm confidence. Arthur Pink in his book, An Exposition of Hebrew, says it like this. Faith shuts its eyes to all that it sees and opens its ears to all God has said. Because faith comes by hearing. Faith emboldens against discouragement. It laughs at difficulties. It resists the devil. It triumphs over temptations. It does so because it unites the soul to God and draws strength to him. Thus, faith is a supernatural thing. Not a man-made thing. Doesn't originate with us. Authentic faith in God means we don't need to play make-believe. We don't act, need to act like nothing is wrong. God expects honesty, not pretense from us. 
Look at the Psalms. Why, O oh Lord, have you done this and this and the other? An honest relationship. My confidence is not in my faith. It's in God's ability to know that he can accomplish what I can't possibly accomplish. Because, because I know it's not my faith, but God's might, I become more confident in him. Faith is believing when I can't see it. It's being obedient. Faith is being obedient even when I don't understand it. And faith continues even when my, what I'm trusting for isn't coming through, doesn't come to pass. Trust in God. That's why we pray for healing. That's why we expect healing. That's why we don't fall into fatalism thinking, well, nothing's ever changed, going to change. My prayers don't really do anything. Oh, it must be that predestination thing. It's all set. Okay, well, thanks. I'm glad you got it under control. I'll just suffer down here. Instead of entering into what he's told us to enter into with him, to partner with him. We do need to be bold and remember that our father loves to give good gifts to his children when we ask. So especially if you feel God's given you a specific promise of healing, hang on to it, pray into it. Don't let anyone tell you anything that it can't come to pass. Even if it looks like your situation is getting worse. Not just healing, whatever. Whatever it is. On the other hand, I think I've had too many hands to say on the other hand anymore today. <laughs> we don't want to be guilty of presumption. Assuming that God's got to jump through our hoop. Faith knows, but it doesn't presume. Amen. When true faith comes as a result of rhema, a directed word from the Lord, it creates within us an, an unshakable confidence, God has said. But it doesn't go beyond that word. And that's where we get into trouble. Presumption also assumes, well, if a promise is written from the Bible, it's available to anybody who chooses to act upon it. I open up my Bible, there's a promise. I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with it. Is that God's rhema word for you? The God who still speaks? You find it curious that, that I know of nobody has ever dipped into a river seven times to be cured of leprosy except Naaman. I don't know of anybody who's ever walked on water besides Peter. These were direct rhema words from God for specific individuals that became faith-producing words for them. May I suggest that if we presumptuously try to walk on water or, or find healing repeatedly deeping in a river, you're going to get wet, but I'm not sure anything else. Could be. If God says, go dip. If God says, walk on the water, then of course he can do it in our generation. But just for all of us to decide, I'm going to positively confess this. And this afternoon at the lake party, we're going to just mosey on over to the other side by walking on the water. It'd be an interesting party. The Bible actually speaks quite a, a bit against the sin of presumption. Presuming. Numbers 15.30, the person who does anything presumptuously shall be cut off from among his people. 
Deuteronomy 18.22, the prophet who shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, that prophet shall die. And thankfully, we're not from under the Old Testament covenant as we utter prophecies today. There would be a lot of dead folks in the kingdom today. It's presumption, not faith, when we, tend, when we attempt to speak things into existence by our own words. Unless God has spoken first, I submit to you, nothing's going to happen. Mountain-moving faith is the kind that's got to originate with God, not in presumptuous us. Presumptuous us. <coughs> you know, I've been married 26 years. I've learned through suffering <laughs> that it's not right for a husband to presume what his wife is thinking. Hmm, interesting, I got more from the men than the women on that one. <laughs> no wife is entitled to presume she understands and knows her husband's desires, his will. So we have no right to presume what God's going to say or do in a specific way in any particular situation with him until what we do with our spouse, we ask and give him the opportunity to say, here's what I want to say to that. Here's what I want to do in your situation. Not just presume, oh, well, this must be water walking time or river dipping time. It's like, no, maybe this is that or this or something specific for you. That's not even in scripture because we live in Acts 29 and the book's still being written through the testimony and witness of us. Under the Old Covenant, presumption was a dangerous sin. It could cost you your life. That's why David prayed in Psalm 19, Keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be innocent from great transgression. Lord, help me not do this. Is faith important? By all means. But we're off base if we think it's the size of our faith that's doing it. Or that a, a prayer said... Just in the right way is what's going to heal us. Prayer, especially Christian prayer for healing, is not hocus pocus. And Lord, love all the people that I've been around in all the different neighborhoods of the church. But let me tell you, I've seen some hocus pocus. Well-meaning people, lovely people, who've corrected me in the errors of many of my ways. And we've been able to sit and talk about some of these things. Because you, you, you need to be careful with the people who say, if you, if you have just enough faith, then you're going to be disease-free. You'll be free from the burden of suffering. You'll live a long and happy life if you have enough faith. You won't have any more financial woes if you have just enough faith. Again, we're not called to have faith in faith. We're called to have faith in God. We're not called to have faith in prayer. You know, I don't believe in prayer. What? I don't believe in prayer, but I believe in the one to whom I pray. Yes. And that's a different thing. Yes. I don't 
believe in faith, but I believe in the God in whom I place my trust. We've got to leave room for God for the possibility of him to answer in any way he wants, which may not be according to our script. Anybody here ever had a script stomped on, torn up, coffee dumped on by the Almighty? I can't read that anymore. Mm-hmm. No, God's not an apathetic bystander who is remote from the sufferings of people, but neither is he a genie in the bottle. Give me the formula. What's the formula? Oh, there's a conference. I can get the formula. A popular preacher from 50 years ago, Harold Horton, says this, Faith is not grasping tight and clenching fists and furrowing brows and gritting teeth and shouting in in a kind of hopeless hope. I will believe, I do believe, I will believe, I do believe. And we just grit it up. That's not faith, he says. Faith is the easy, restful, fearless attitude of an infant reposing on its mother's breast with no thought of fear or effort or uncertainty. Faith is absolute rest in God, absolutely knowing, absolutely trusting according to his gracious promises and covenants, according to his covenants. Healing evangelist Randy Clark, with whom I had the privilege of going to Mozambique with, Brazil with, he said he's encountered way too many people who need a healing because of the last healing service they attended. Because they left feeling worse than when they went. Because not only did they walk out the door with the ailment they came in with, they left with guilt and shame because they were told, you don't have enough faith. It's your fault. In one way or the other. As I read all the various biblical accounts, it seems to me that if you have faith for your healing, that's, that's great. That's desirable, that's good, that's helpful. But it doesn't seem to be required. Did you know that? Or you're sitting there like, yeah, I think he's doing heresy now. <laughs> let's, let's think about the night in the garden when Jesus was betrayed and Peter got all <clears throat> in a flurry and he took out his sword and he cut off the soldier's ear. What happened? Jesus reached down and he he picked up the ear and superglued it to the man's head again. I'm pretty sure that guy didn't have much faith for a healing in Jesus, from Jesus. The daughter of Jairus was healed because of her father's faith, because of his asking. The demoniac who lived among the tombs in Luke 8, he had to be healed and delivered before he could receive the Christ. And let me ask you this, just how much faith did Lazarus muster up to believe for his resurrection from the dead? How much faith did dead Lazarus have? Hmm. Jesus was one with the faith. Jesus was one with the unconditional grace that he just bestows like rain and sunshine. And he's so amazing. When Jesus healed the man who was born blind, Jesus said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he said, who is he? Who who is the Son of Man? I've never heard of him. He didn't even know who Jesus was. It wasn't until later that he came to faith. 
And what about all the, the accounts of the people in Scripture not being healed? First Timothy 5.23, where Paul told Timothy to take wine for his frequent infirmities. Why, why didn't Paul pray for his healing? I'm sure he did. We definitely have to throw him out of the church. In 2 Timothy 4, Paul says he left Trophimus behind in Miletus, sick. Paul left him behind, unhealed. I'm so glad these stories are here because I pray for a lot of people and pray with the faith that God has given me. Faith of a mustard. If you have faith of a mustard seed, it means you have enough faith to pray for it. You have enough faith to go forward and let the, the healing evangelist pray for you. You have enough faith to get off the pew and to go for what God has. If you have faith of a mustard seed, do you, you think there's room for fears and doubts and confusion? And Yeah. But I'm not looking at that. I'm, lo- I'm holding my mustard seed like you said, Lord. So here I'm coming. And I'm bringing me or I'm bringing my sister or my brother who's hurting. Philippians 2, we learn of Epaphroditus, a devoted servant of the Lord, became sick, stayed that way for a long time. He almost died. The prayers were finally answered, but as with us, prayers for healing often come not as they're prayed or when they're prayed for. I do believe that physical healing is part of the bargain of Isaiah 53, if I can put it that way. In other words, I do believe that healing is part of Christ's atonement. But I struggle to read those words and believe that they're going to be perfectly fulfilled because that's not the experience of history. They can be perfectly fulfilled in your life, but they're not going to be perfectly fulfilled. Listen, 2 Corinthians, no, 2 Peter 3.9. It's not God's will that anyone should perish, but all should have eternal life. It's God's will that everybody come to a saving faith in Jesus. Does everyone have a saving faith in Jesus? They do not. So if by his stripes not all are healed spiritually, does that leave room for us to understand with by his stripes maybe not everyone's going to be healed physically? And there's a whole discussion that can be had here. I'm just bringing up some questions for what we encounter. I don't want you leaving here like, well, he said it was, is, is he for or against? I'm not speaking against faith. I'm speaking for faith. I'm just speaking against presumptuous faith, faith that's not grounded in God's word. And I do know that many believers, many believers, many believers underplay their authority in Christ. And we need a challenge to people to rise up and be the church and believe God at his word and listen for his voice living, acting, present God interposing himself into our sickness and in our sin and rescuing us still but just because some underplay doesn't give us the right to overstate our authority that if I have enough faith if, I'm, if I say it right, if I perform well if, if I say the right words if I, if, if I have the right attitude if God can look inside all the dark places and I've, I've worked on that so hard, I really believe, I, I really... Well, then God will be pleased with me. 
he'll be beholden to jump through my hoops. Because I'm going to hold the Bible, and I'm going to point to all the places where he said he would, and I'm going to say, you got to. You have to. You said so. And I see it. I've seen it in the kingdom. And I see it in a way that lacks the humility I think we're called to have when we go boldly before the throne of grace. Oh my gosh, I love that passage. I love our God, I love our Jesus, who because of him we can go boldly to God's throne of grace. We can sit at our father's feet. But we don't go, Dad, you gotta give me this. We go in humility. If you pray correctly, your prayers will be answered. And if you don't get your prayers right, sorry, Charlie, you must be doing something wrong. That's, that's what I want to speak against. Because I know what a terrible burden is. I've seen it in the lives of people I've ministered with. And it creates a great insecurity in me as well. If thinking, gosh, one slip, I could lose my healing. I could bring financial ruin on myself. I'm not saying it the right way. Do you see what's wrong with this picture? I'm much happier going to places like Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps round about those who fear him to deliver him. I trust in God to deliver me, God to heal me, much more than I do in my, my own words to keep me out of poverty and disaster and illness. I had four times more what I'm saying to you in my notes. Because there are many realms that, that have been touched upon here that bear much discussion. This should be a healing conference. This should be a multi-week series. I hope you come tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. And I hope you go with faith. And one of the ways you go into that if you're doubting, it's like, I'm not sure about this guy. I think I remember him last year. It's like, I didn't like the color of his suspenders and... Or if you haven't been, and you're like, well, I've, I've never done that. Is that. Do we do that in this denomination? Then the next day of the half, half, you'll start praying to the God who gives faith. Say, Lord, I want, I, I do believe, help my unbelief. Or, or maybe you're more honest. I don't believe this. Can you help me get anything? And as Denver has been praying, Lord, give me a word for this people. Fill me up with your power and your presence for this people. That we would go in not receiving something from the man, Amen. but receiving something from the vessel who imagine is doing everything he can to be empty so that God can move through him. And be praying that for yourself. Be praying that for the whole group. Be praying for him Amen. that God's anointing may flow. I mean, I've seen it. People who, who have some level of anointing and then it's not really there, but then they go ahead and make promises. They go ahead and said, you have been healed when, okay, they're not, you know. You don't know how hard it is. Some of you know how hard it is. I remember when I was in Brazil, we had a, 
a pastor's conference with 4,000 pastors who'd come from many countries to be filled up again. And there was teaching and there was preaching and then there was time for ministry time. And I'm thinking, well, this is, this is my first foray into this in the international field. I thought, this is going to be good. I'm going I'm to go partner with some guy who knows what he's doing. And I'll, maybe I'll put my hands on his shoulders behind everything and pray for him that God will fill him. <laughs> and Randy Clark said, we got 4,000 people. Everybody's got their own line. So we stood there, and I had 40 people waiting for me to pray for him with an interpreter in Portuguese. That'll get you to praying. Mm -hmm. And the first night I prayed, I've told this here before to some of you, I think. First night I prayed, every person I prayed for got healed. It was the most amazing thing because I'd been back in my church in Texas praying for healing for a long time and almost nobody ever got healed. Far and few between. And I prayed for people who fell down. I'm like, get up, I'm not through. <laughs> it's rude to get up. And I prayed for people who got holy laughter. And I, I know I've told this here because I don't like holy laughter. It's annoying. It bothers me. And this is just about, I'm just being honest with you. This is just about me and what I like and what I think you know, I remember when Mary and I were young in the faith, we prayed for spiritual gifts and we said, this one, this one, this one, but not that one or that one or that one. <laughs> and God laughed. <laughs> it was the most, I, I remember I looked down at my hands to see if they had changed because they were the same hands who had laid hands on many people here at home when not much was happening. And I did it there and oh my gosh. Revival was breaking out, and some people, and then some people were crying, and some people were laughing, and some people were standing and kneeling, and it was chaos. It was the most glorious, wondrous chaos I'd ever been a part of. And we did it again the next night, and I prayed, and do you feel is the pain gone? Nope, still here. Let's pray some more. And the lines there, and people are like you can't you can't spend so much time with one person. And I prayed for the next guy and the next lady. And nobody fell down and nobody laughed and nobody got healed. <laughs> and I closed my line out of order. <laughs> you know, it's like I did. It's like, okay, everybody move over here where there's an anointing on this lady who's praying for folks. And I was confused for a bit. And we went back to our hotel that night. I'm like, God, did I do something wrong? Did I say something wrong? I, I think I said it the same way as before. Did I, have I sinned since yesterday in my heart on this outreach? And I felt very strongly the message from God was, I just want you to know this has nothing to do with you. Not the healings. Not the lack of healings. And I could have really gone to a sin of presumption. I'm just, I'm just going to work this up. I'm going to push them down. At least there's going to be something happening here. <laughs> and that's why you see what you see sometimes. And it's not because the men are evil. 
because they're human and it's like they don't, it's, it's hard. I suppose I should end this message. I want to encourage you to have faith, to have big faith, to walk in faith, to believe big, to know that God is, that he still speaks. Rhema. R-H-E-M-A, in case you're like, what is he saying? But may it be a true faith. May it be an unfeigned faith. The genuine, authentic thing. That's honest with our failures. Honest with, yeah, it's not working today. No, I have no anointing right now. Yes, the Holy Spirit's with me. I'm not bereft of God, but I don't know why. When there's genuine faith, we'll see the invisible. We'll believe the incomprehensible. We'll hear the inaudible. We'll feel the intangible. We'll hope the imperishable. We will expect the impossible. And he will do it. Because he can do all things. And he's good. I hope you come with anticipation tomorrow. Cindy, I want to worship. Can you do something about that? <laughs> Can you lead us? Amen and amen. These are songs of declaration and de- declaring that it's sweet to trust Jesus. Or my life is in you and blessed assurance that Jesus is mine. So let's stand up and declare that that's what we believe. And if we don't believe it, ask the Lord to let us believe this truth.